Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I'm Peter Kafka. And thanks for listening to Recode Replay. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 Code Conference. We're going to let you hear it in just a second for free. You're welcome. But before we do that, we want to plug another conference. Okay, fine, if you insist. I must, I must. You must Um, insist. If you like this event, there's a very good chance you're going to like Code Media 2018. February 12th and 13th in Huntington Beach, California. 2018. I can't believe it's next year. Next year. Absolutely. Save the date. Peter and I will both be there, which means it's going to be a fantastic event. I've been to all of them and I have learned things. I would actually pay for them, Peter. We may charge you this year. Uh, One more time. That's Code Media 2018. It's like this event, but it's in 2018. February 12th and 13th. Go to events.recode.net for all the deets, as the kids say. As the kids say. Thanks, Peter. See ya person who runs the next company has 325, 328 million users. They are all experts um, on how to fix this service. Uh, you guys are as well. So please welcome Anthony Noto so we can talk about Twitter. Anthony, how are you? Good to have that seat over there. Um, hi, Anthony. Hey, Peter. I have a lot of business questions for you, but I, I figured we could start right away with politics. <laughs> Sean Spicer says, President Trump and a small handful of people know what Confifi means. You're the number two guy at Twitter. You know. What does it mean? I'm not going to disclose what. But you do know. Means. You're in the circle? <laughs> I'm in the circle. Good. Um, Reed Hastings did this yesterday. We'll try it with you guys. Uh, who here uses Twitter? Okay. Um, who here is a Twitter subscriber? Zero. Right. Um, how many of you would pay $10 a month to use Twitter? That was the only way you could use Twitter. Small group. What about five bucks? Few people. All right, so we have a portion of Power Twitter users here who would pay for the service. There's a note out from uh, Moffat Nathanson this morning saying the only way to fix Twitter is to make it a subscription-only service. There are other people, some of whom may be in this room, also think you should go this route. Would you ever consider ditching ads and making this a subscription-only service? Great. Well, we're hopping right into it. We're going right into it. I waited 10 years to get in this red chair, and we're going right at the meat of it. Congratulations. Um, One of the 10,000 suggestions we get from our users, which we welcome all the time. Um, I think it's important to sort of put into context a framework of how to think about that question and the other suggestions that we get from our user base. Twitter's an incredible service. It's resilient. But for the better part of uh, the first nine years of its history, we didn't really define what Twitter was. If you had asked any executive during that time period, what is Twitter, and even board members, you probably would have gotten a different version of what Yeah, we had a bunch of them on stage, and they all gave different answers. (laughs) Exactly. Well, as our growth slowed in 2015, we had to come to grips with defining what Twitter was and what makes it powerful and different, and it will help put into context the answer to your question. Um, After a lot of consternation about what we were and what we weren't, we ultimately decided that Twitter's unique value proposition for consumers is is that we're the best at showing you what's happening in the world and what's being talked about. Um, And when we think about different opportunities, we have to be able to deliver that value. And what allows us to be the best at showing you what's happening in the world, it's really four things. We're the fastest. No one breaks news faster than Twitter. People may ask the question, well, why is Twitter the fastest? Well, first and foremost, our tweets are publicly available for anyone to see, and they're broadly distributed. Our tweets are on our property with over 325 million monthly active users, but they're also spread across third-party digital properties and on television. We have about 1.6 billion unique visitors that see our tweets on third-party properties a month. That allows, when someone wants to share something, they want to tweet it because it will get out there first. So we have to do things to make sure that we're first and we're fast. Second, we have comprehensive selection. We talk about having tens of billions of tweet impressions across any category. You can do a search on any topic, and I'm pretty confident we'll have some type of content 
that's relevant and relevant in a real-time way, and so we have to continue to increase our selection and comprehensiveness. And I would tell you that content, having studied it, is relevant to everyone in the world and relevant on a daily basis, and we have to continue to build that strength. Third is we have the discussion. One of the reasons we have the discussion is because our tweets are publicly available for people to talk about. And that discussion adds to the overall experience. It makes the content more relevant to you and it's more engaging and it makes the audience connected. And then last, because we know who you follow and what you interact with, we can personalize it. But when you personalize that, the amount of content that we have, it makes it more relevant. It makes the content get to you faster. So when you ask the question, should we charge for Twitter, I go back to, does it make us faster? Does it increase our selection? Does it drive more discussion? Does it allow us to personalize more? And if it doesn't, then it's not going to make us the best at sharing what's happening in the but world. But I don't think it would prevent you from doing any of those things. And the thing it would do is give you a steady source of revenue, right? And, and the reason people are talking about this now is you guys have been an ad-based service since, well, not since you launched for a while. They just shrugged when you asked about money. But you're, you're selling ads now. And 325 million people is a lot of people. But in an internet business, uh, which is dominated by Google and Facebook, it is, for advertisers, that's not scale. Um, it's not scale enough to support uh, sort of the direct response ads that, tw that Google and Facebook do really well. It's not TV scale. So you're sort of the subscale, weirdly, business by internet standards. Um, so the thought is, you guys are, even if you start growing your user base again, you grew last quarter, you're just not going to be big enough to be an internet ad business. So you've got to do something else. Right. So I know Adam Baines here, and the good thing is he won't charge the stage and attack you for those comments, because uh, he knows they're not true, and here's why they're not true. Um, this clarity and focus, this clarity and focus that we've brought to the company has allowed us to re-accelerate user growth for the last four quarters consecutively. And I've been in and around the internet space since 1998, and I can count on one hand the number of companies that have seen the deceleration in audience growth and decline and recovered and actually showed an acceleration in growth. So the fact Zero that, people, right? No, there have has been, anyone ever done this before? Has anyone ever turned around a consumer-facing internet business? That, uh, that, pr right, line. and they're kind of right in the middle, right? Yeah. So you can count on one hand the number of companies. So one, one company has done this before. So I appreciate the accolade. So for those that don't know, we, uh, we grew year-over-year -year growth for DAUs in Q1, 3%. In the second quarter of 16, 5%. Third quarter, 7 Fourth quarter, 11 And then this most recent quarter, um, uh, we grew 14% back to mid-teens growth. And the good thing is the product changes that we're focused on, refining the core use case, making the, the home timeline more relevant through machine learning as opposed to just reverse chronological, doing smart notifications again at the right time, bringing into that. Those things have worked, and we have to focus on those things that reinforce fast selection, discussion, and personalization. Are there areas that we could step outside of advertising and charge for um, services? We will look at those different areas. One area is TweetDeck. It's been talked about in the media that we may have done a test to see if there's Right, a you've talked about uh, premium stuff and you've kicked that around, but I won't beat the subscription thing into the ground because you don't want to do it. But the way, only way that would work is if, every, if whether you had to pay to do it, I guess presumably Donald Trump would stop tweeting and maybe people would pay extra yeah. for that. Yeah, I, so I would use our framework that I described to make the go, no-go decision. So TweetDeck may be an opportunity for us to add a bunch of premium yeah. services to it to develop a subscription revenue stream. But I'm really confident the value proposition that we deliver to advertisers is as strong as it's ever been for two reasons. One, our audience is well above the scale and needs to drive over $2 billion of ad revenue. Second, advertisers at the end of the day want reach, engagement, and ROI, and we're delivering those three things in a big way. Now, and just to be that kind of guy, because yeah. I am that kind of guy, right? Your revenue is still decelerating, even though your user base is, yeah. is, is, is ticked back up. And the numbers you were giving me were DAUs, DAUs. not MAUs, and right. you're not actually announcing the DAUs, right? 
Uh, we have not disclosed the exact number of right, Dell. So that's a big question mark for this audience and it is. the folks who follow um, you on Wall Street. And there, there are many people that can prognosticate what that number actually is, which is obviously sizable. Um, so on the advertising side, yes, our advertising declined in the first quarter. And there's a couple factors driving that. Number one, um, you know, revenue growth lags audience growth. So when our audience was decelerating, our revenue growth was still pretty strong. Um, and the, the revenue that we're deriving today in Q1 at least reflected decisions that advertisers were making about budget six to 12 months ago when our audience was not as strong as it is today and our prices were 60% higher. The good news is our prices are 60% lower, which by definition would improve the ROI, but we also have more reach and we have increasing engagement. So let's, let's stipulate that you're, you're going to grow your audience, that it's been growing a bit. What has been growing? Is this is entirely Donald Trump or is it something else? Um, so we, in the most recent quarter, described three factors that drove the growth. First, seasonality and organic growth was the primary driver of the DAE growth in Q1. It's our seasonally strongest quarter. Number two was product changes, and number three was marketing. Um, and within product changes, we saw the largest contribution from product changes driving growth that we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, so not Donald Trump. Well, what we said is we measure things causally as opposed to correlated because um, we do hold backs on product changes so that we can um, show our company and show shareholders that we've driven the changes through things that were impacting the product changes through causality. Um, we look at a bunch of things from a correlated standpoint, and the only thing that we could see that would show evidence of a potential benefit, again, potential, because it's correlated, was the number of new and resurrected users that came onto the prop. Resurrected platform. users is the best term you guys have ever used. So... The, that, those two cohorts during yeah. the quarter had a greater percent of the followers that were news and political accounts. So, so translated, Donald Trump brought you some users. Uh, no. That, new not, users I, or resurrected I, users? I, I, did, I did not Zombie say users. What I said was our new and resurrected users had a higher percentage of the accounts they followed that were news and political. Can't make a statement how come, how come that didn't show up during the previous year of the election? So here's the thing that I don't think is truly appreciated. You made the point before about scale. We have tens of billions of tweet impressions a day. And so let me sort of quantify for you the magnitude of the impact we need from events to drive that overall number. During the presidential elections uh, debates, we had the live video with our partner Bloomberg on Twitter with a curated timeline below it. That curated timeline were the best tweets that were discussing the debate while it was happening. And so you could come to that location, watch the debate or listen to the debate, and read the conversation as it's happening. The reason we have live video on the platform is because those discussions are happening without it, but when you bring the video onto the platform, it increases the discussion, increases the number of tweets, increases the number of tweet impressions. So during the presidential debates, the highest number of increased tweet impressions we had, um, let's say it was X. That was only a 10% increase on the total amount of tweet impressions in that day. We, div we do it on an average. So that means for the quarter, we only had a 0.1% increase in the tweet impressions on Twitter from one debate, which was the largest increase we got on any day during the, the quarter in which the presidential so you're saying so you're so big that the fact that, that even though Donald Trump as presidential candidate and now as president is, is causing havoc I'm multiple saying, times a day, I'm saying that, that doesn't have enough. It, it's only a small increase. I'm saying our scale is so large for any one entity or person to drive that entire pie has to be a significant impact. And I just gave you a quantification of one microcosm of, of how to think about it. So you mentioned video, live video. This is one of your big pushes personally, right? That you're in charge of this effort. Um, you guys had the NFL last year. You were uh, basically rebroadcasting the games that run CBS and, and, and NBC um, on Thursday nights. Um, that is the most valuable product that's on TV. It's the most watched product that's on TV. Um, you guys said you're happy with it. 
if you compare your numbers to TV numbers, you had, I think, 237,000, give or take, um, people watching one of those games, and the networks had 15 million. So is that, should, should we view that and go, Twitter's not really going to be a live video platform, or, or does that give you guys, does that make you happy? We couldn't be more excited about the success that we achieved with the NFL and our live strategy overall. And I think in order to appreciate that success, you have to put in the context of the overall strategy. So go back to the four things I said we have to strengthen. Yeah. Every product decision, content decision, or marketing decision we make, it has to increase one or more of those four things because that will make us better at showing you uh, the best of what's happening in the world. And so you think about live, there's no faster or real-time information than live. So that definitely improves how fast. Wait, 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 let's not go through all the, the four, but I just want to talk about Putting the best product on TV on Twitter, to me, from the outside, seems like that's a pretty negligible bump for you guys. It seems that and part of the problem there is if I want to watch that game, I can watch it on TV. Maybe I'll tweet about it at the yeah. same time. So our I don't need to watch it on Twitter. So our objective with our partners is to help them extend their reach. We're not trying to disintermediate anyone. We want to be a partner that helps them reach an audience they wouldn't otherwise reach because that audience isn't paying for television or that audience is on the go. And we did that with the NFL. We, we were able to bring them a younger audience. 55% of those that viewed were under the age of 25. We had a significant international audience. Um, and we had a higher index of women viewers than male viewers on television. When, when you guys talked about that deal, when you got it, the way you presented it to people like me was, this is going to be an awesome marketing tool. We're going to show people who don't really know what Twitter is, that there's this awesome product here. You don't have to log in to watch it. Again, it didn't look like there, were any, there was a significant spike in users. Um, did it help you bring in more users? Did it help you retain users? What was the benefit to having yeah. that? Going back to those four things, it drove more discussion. Like for the last decade, we've had people talking about these events. On Thursday nights without NFL Live, we had five or six million people looking at tweets about Thursday Night Football without the video. Right. And talking about it and generating about 100 million tweet impressions without the video. Right, they're watching TV. And so when we, when we brought the video onto the platform, we actually increased the amount of tweet impressions by three to four X. We increased the number of tweets created with the game with, versus without the game last year by two X and number of video starts, video starts, not the actual game by two X. So make it more valuable for the people who are already using Twitter. Making it more valuable for people who are already using it, but also bringing in new users to the platform. So we achieved the objectives that we had with the NFL, but I also want to emphasize the point that we had 800 hours of live streaming programming in Q1 without the NFL. It is one part of our much broader yeah. strategy, and that strategy focuses on sports, esports. We have a very large and growing audience in esports, and we've had great success there, beating our competition head-to-head in each event when they've had the same stream, uh, news and politics, and entertainment. And so in the first quarter, we had 800 hours without live football. Uh, we grew our audience sequentially over 30%, um, and we announced at the digital new fronts that we have 16 new um, additions to our lineup, and our goal is to continue to be a dependable place to come and see what's happening live in those four events, uh, sorry, those four uh, categories, the NFL was a great launch partner to help build awareness of that broader strategy. Um, why, why is live a good thing on the internet? To me, it seems like the whole benefit of the internet is it's asynchronous, it's on demand. I don't have to watch Game of Thrones at nine o'clock on s- Sunday. I can watch it whenever I want. And I get that there's a handful of things like tonight's NBA game that I have to watch but it's a really small number of things that I have to watch live. Don't think of it as a cul-de-sac or an ending point. Think of it as a beginning point. So you have video on demand, you have highlights, you have in-progress highlights, and then you have live. Twitter has, has to be the first and we have to be the fastest. Live helps us do that and helps drive discussion. So that's important, but we don't stop there. So when we do a live deal, we get the ability to do highlights, to do reruns, to do in-progress highlights, to do video clips, 
um, and to do on demand. And so it increases the spectrum of the selection that we have. While it's live, it drives more live discussion and allows us to be faster. So it's a beginning point that helps extend the spectrum of the content that we have and the selection that we have and makes, makes the other elements even easier. It just seems like you guys and, and Facebook and YouTube are all taking this page from TV and saying live is the best thing. The reason the TV guys say live is the best thing, it's the most valuable thing for them, right? Because I can't skip past the ad. They can charge the most for it. But for you guys, I can, I can watch something on TV and do something else on Twitter or Facebook or yep. YouTube. So the content that we're choosing in the four categories is content that is live. We're not doing sitcoms. We're not doing dramas. We're not doing appointment television. We're doing things that people actually want to watch live. Our platform has to be the best at showing you what's happening in the world. And let me finish this point. This is really critical. We would not have gone down the path of live if we didn't have a strength that said there's a core use case that users on Twitter are talking about these things without the video by bringing the video on and taking those conversations that are all over everyone's home timeline and using machine learning to create the best curated timeline, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't have that. But they're talking about things they're seeing on TV, right? And you guys are not bringing the things that are on TV to Twitter. You're bringing on the things that you can get, right? They're Either because they're not, they're, they're usually they're, they're not on TV or they're talking about things, things like Vox Media is going to do a site with something with The Verge, right? Here's so the that's great, Here's but the it's not TV stuff. They're not just talking about stuff that's on TV. They're talking about things that are happening in the world. Yeah. So it could be anything. And so when someone comes to us and says, we have um, indoor box lacrosse, do you want that on Twitter? The first thing we do is we look at our data and say, how many people are following accounts that are box lacrosse? How many people are tweeting and how many tweet impressions are created when those games are happening? Not only when they're on TV, when they're happening. Wow, there's a passionate audience on Twitter for that. Let's absolutely put the content on Twitter and give access. So our goal is to leverage stuff that's nationally and globally recognized to build awareness of underserved content of these passionate audiences on Twitter, which will drive the four factors that I mentioned. And so some of it will be on TV, but the vast majority of it will not be accessible. And the reason why it's not accessible is because it doesn't generate enough revenue to justify the opportunity cost of putting something else on. We don't have that limitation. And the biggest difference between us and all the other digital companies that are doing it, because we have the conversation happening on Twitter, we're actually bringing together an audience that's connected around that event, whether it's on television or not. Breaking 2 is a great example. And then you're watching as if you're together. That's the road if, race that uh, Nike sponsored. You're watching as if you're together in the stadium or in the concert hall for a uh, musical event or in the, in the theater for, for a debate. And it's incredibly powerful. And when we go head-to-head -head with the other companies with the same stream, including Breaking 2, we beat them the majority of the time. How are, how are you going to tell these people who are using Twitter, who aren't watching live stuff, that, hey, there's, there's a bunch of guys running in Nike shoes, and you should watch it. It's pretty cool. Um, and how are you going to not tell them if they don't want to hear about that? Yeah, so if they're currently in app, there's a number of different ways they would know. Um, those tweets show up in their home timeline. Um, they're now going to be located permanently, all the live events under the Explore tab, which is our effort to aggregate the most important things that are happening in the world for you so that you can see in an instant what's happening in the world. So when you click on that little Explore magnifying glass, you instantly get an answer, as easy as looking outside the window using Jack's metaphor. Um, and so we can do it through the home timeline. We can do it through Explore. We can do it through push notifications. We can do it through DMs. And so the first nine months that we've been in this business, we've been able to build the muscle to understand organically how do we bring you into that live experience as opposed to spamming everyone in the world. So we get a lot of criticism from people saying, I can't find it. It's because our goal is actually to deliver the conversations that they care about naturally. You're not going to shove this in front of my face if I've signaled to you either through my actions or I've explicitly told you I don't want to see it. We will continue to iterate. We started from what I would say is a very conservative position, which was we would only notify you or push things in front of you that we know you 
follow, and we've slowly expanded that out further and further, always with a, a, you know, a measurement that says, how is that person reacting it? Do they want it and do they not want it? So it will continue to increase the, I would say, approach that we have with increasing the number of people that we hit, starting with, does the person follow this content, and then expanding it based on machine learning and other variables that say this may be irrelevant or not, but then feeding back that information if you decide to dismiss it or you don't react to it. Uh, what happened last fall? Salesforce basically put out a press release. They didn't actually put out a press release, but they told everyone who wanted to hear. They wanted to buy you guys. Other folks took a real look at you. Disney looked at you. Um, why didn't the company sell, or why didn't someone buy the company last year? Um, so we don't comment on speculation or even people stating uh, not their interest. The only thing Reporting. I will, the only thing I'll say is yes. this. The board understands fiduciary duty to maximize shareholder value. We do as well. The only thing that Jack, I, and our team can control is doing the day-to-day -day work to make Twitter as valuable as we can for the users. And we do that. Revenue will follow and shareholder value. I talked to a bunch of media folks on this stage the last couple of days, and all of them are very interested in finding ways to correct, connect directly with their, their end user, right? They're all mostly in the wholesale business. It seems like there is some value, can't figure out what the value is, that Twitter that has... 325 million? 300. What's the number? I keep forgetting. <laughs> Monthly it. active users yeah. reported last quarter, 328 million. 328 million users plus however many. You've got a direct connection to these folks. It seems like if I am a Time Warner, well, they're, they're out of it now, uh, Disney or a Viacom or someone else, you have that direct connection. That's a thing they can't build on their own. It's of right. enormous value. We want to be the gold standard partner. When we go and pitch these executives at different media companies and distribution companies and leagues, our pitch is we want to help you be better. We want your brand to be better. We want your content to be better. We want you to have relationships with audiences you're not reaching. So we want to be their partner of choice. And we take that approach with all of them. We bring a unique value equation to them in that we can help them reach audiences that are not reaching and drive incremental advertising dollars. One of the most surprising things about the Eliza Live Initiative is I would have never guessed in nine months we would have gone from not having a product to launching a product, having the quality of that product universally praised by everyone, having the quality of the timeline being as impactful as it is, and to have 800 hours of live streaming content, and we're, we're literally just getting started. And if you add up all the things that we announced at Newfront's 24-hour uh, linear network, uh, I'm sorry, digital network with Bloomberg, 24-hour sports with uh, Stadium, and then the broad range of things we have in esports and entertainment, and you take a step back, the value is obvious. We have an audience they want to reach. It's a younger audience, a mobile audience, and a way for them to monetize instantly, partnering with us as opposed to taking the risk of destroying the value they have in their content. You were a star banker at, at Goldman. Um, you could be a banker now. You could be working at a hedge fund. You're operating a company right now. It seems like that's the, the least fun thing to do. You have to hit crap from people like me and 328 million users all have an opinion. Uh, Hillary Clinton has opinions about how to improve Twitter. Donald Trump's fine with it. Um, why, why do this job? Um, you know, when Dick first asked me to join the company, and th those that may not know, I, I covered Twitter as a banker from 2011 um, on and was fortunate enough to, to lead the IPO, and so I got very close with the team uh, and several of the board members. And when Dick asked me to join as a CFO, um, you know, I knew instantly it was the right thing for me because of all the companies I've seen over the nearly two decades of, of analyzing tech and media companies, of being their bankers and advisors, I'd never seen something like Twitter. I think it can be the most impactful company in the world economically and non-economically. It's never been more relevant. We have a ton of work to get there, um, but the 
factors that exist within Twitter to allow us to, to have that potential are as relevant as they were when I joined uh, today. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. I, I find myself each day reflecting back on the things that caused me to want to go after this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it is hard. Um, you know, I went to West Point. That was hard. Ranger School was hard. And at the end of each day in those occasions, including Twitter, I'm reminded by something that it's more than what I'm doing that day. It's about something that's... Do you ever wish you were back in Ranger School and you had a gun and... Uh, I, I can say with every ounce of confidence in the world, I would never want to spend one more minute in Ranger School. Deal. <laughs> I have other questions for you, but I want to open it up to the audience because they probably have some thoughts as well. You guys have questions for Anthony? I, I've got one. Uh, Anthony, Casey Newman with The Verge. Uh, as you may know, there is a, a growing movement uh, to let your users edit their tweets uh, if they make a typo. Uh, and I'd like to know where you stand on this important issue. Casey, you may find this surprising, but I was going to say, Casey's going to ask me about editing. Um, we listen. This is Casey's full-time job We listen. Now, by the we, way. We, see all, uh, we see all suggestions. We welcome all suggestions. The great thing about Twitter, it's 100% transparent. People that use it are passionate about it. We want everyone in the world to use it, and, and that's our objective. So thank you for being a user and so passionate and sharing your ideas with us. Um, I, I'm not going to prognosticate about what product changes we're going to make and give you the pros and cons. Everything we think about goes back to what I said uh, to Peter's. You know, we want to be the best at showing what's happening in the world and what's being talked about. Um, and it has to be faster, has to drive more comprehensive selection, more discussion, and more personalization. If it does, those are things we'll invest in. And then the question is, what's the priority? All right, I'm marking you down as in favor, so thank you. There we go. Uh, Miguel Half with Forbes. Uh, Anthony, hey, um, Steve Ballmer here yesterday or the day before said something about being a CEO is a little hard. Uh, you have a part-time CEO. How does it change your, your job as, as his, his number two person, but also what kind of conversations do you have with shareholders? And, you know, you have a very, very challenging thing to do to get this uh, on the right track and, and your CEO is only half time. So I think it's important for everyone to understand that Jack is available for me and our team 100% of the time. Anytime I have a question or want to have a discussion or have a debate or, or just catch up on things, he's there 100% of the time. And um, I don't focus on this question until I'm asked by people. It's not something that occurs to me to even think about. Jack's a great partner. No one cares more about the company than Jack. I can't think of a better CEO for the company than him. And something I haven't said you to him. You never think about the fact that you, the, you, the CEO is the CEO of another company as well? Until someone like me or Miguel asks you? I, no, if I don't. He's, if he's the best CEO, then why don't you tell him to quit his other job and be full-time? Because he's doing a great job at doing the job that he's doing, and we have a completely open relationship. And if I thought there was... Um, here's the thing about Jack that you don't understand and that I, I love about him. He's passionate about the company and do whatever he can to help it succeed. And if you have a suggestion for him, Jack will listen to that. He'll consider it. Um, but he's also a great partner from the standpoint that he's completely unflappable. And it's because he's not focused on tomorrow or next month or next year, but on the decades ahead of us. And so what I've found to be incredibly valuable, different than other people I've worked with directly, is I have to deliver some really challenging news to him quite often as the CFO more than the COO issues we're dealing with, risks that are unfolding, things personally that could happen to him based on a variety of circumstances. And he has a cool and calm demeanor as opposed to many CEOs that are defensive or don't have thick skin or not focused on long term. And that allows me to be able to talk to him about anything. And so if I thought the company and shareholders would be better off, 
for any reason, I would share that with Jack. And I can tell you um, there are many things that we've talked about um, along the way, things that he's disagreed with, and we've had a really open relationship about trying to get to the truth. So he's a cool, laid-back CEO who's also, he's C cool, laid so back he's also CEO. And CEO of another he's, company. He, what he is is a passionate person about making Twitter as impactful as it can be and the service that we all know we want it to be. Um, and he's not going to let small, tactical, critical things dissuade him from the path that we're on. Okay, let's get a couple more questions. Good morning. Pam Dillon, uh, co-founder of Ringit, a software company, former Goldman Sachs. Nice to see you. Hi. The question is on the nature of telling the Twitter story. You made reference in having all these years later to define what it is you do. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, what do you think the company should have done upon launch? What should the how, how should the company have told its story? And how should it have punctuated it uh, across the years so that you wouldn't be in the position that you're in right now and having to explain it? I would say the biggest thing is we should have decided sooner exactly what Twitter is and define the consumer value proposition and those competitive advantages that I talked about and making sure that everything we do drives one of those competitive advantages to make us better at our core value proposition. Not having that clarity wasn't necessary in the first eight years of the company because the business just kept, the service just kept growing because it was so valuable to those that found it and what I would say walked across glass to figure out how to use it and get the value out of it. The people in this room that raised their hand, they figured out how to get the value out of Twitter because they invested the time. Um, I think if we defined sooner what Twitter is uniquely and invested solely in those things, um, we could have gotten to the point that we're at now, which is driving real product changes that are impacting the audience growth and we're back, back on the right path. A couple more. Pete Paschal with Mashable. Um, it seems to me the, the conversation around Twitter about a year ago was more about uh, harassment and uh, the issues of uh, online bullying. Um, it, it seems to me that's changed quite a bit. Um, do you consider that problem uh, mostly fixed at this point? And is there any some kind of, uh, is, has there been a fundamental change in the way you approach it? Yeah, in, two, in 2016, um, safety on the platform was a priority, and we doubled down on that initiative in 2017. I mean, we really have three objectives. We want to educate people on the two tools that are available for them to make the platform better for them. Uh, second, we want to... Um, we want to make sure that we take the responsibility of using those tools increasingly out of their hands and using technology to help them along the way. Um, and so we've launched a number of initiatives in just the first um, you know, five months of this year that have had a big impact on the things that we're measuring from a safety and abuse standpoint. But we're really um, going to continue to focus How, on the area do you, because... Do you think you're halfway there? Are you 80% of the way there? Are you 25% of the way there? I think because this is a technology platform and there's constant innovation, we will always run as fast as we can to stay ahead of the problem. And it's really hard to quantify whether we're 10 or 20% away there. It's a never-ending investment that we are committed to making because we need the platform to be safe. It's a microphone to the world um, and people need to feel safe in order to use it. Jason. Hey, Anthony. Jason Delray from Recode. Um, Real-time search and the search product on Twitter seems uh, something I use a lot. I'm a psycho sports fan, so I may or may not be searching like Nick's draft pick like 20 times a day. Um, and there's a, lot of there's a lot of value in real-time search on Twitter, um, but it seems like a product that's not necessarily a priority. It also seems like something that could really differentiate you from like one hole that Google um, doesn't own, although I think you, you share your tweets with them, but that could change someday. I'm curious, is there, is there a business to be made there in real-time search, and where is it in terms of prioritization in the company? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways for us to think about the value of our data and the ability to, the, to respond to requests. So um, one area that we've spent a lot of um, you know, resources on that's become a little crown jewel for us is our data business. And so we license to third party our data. Um, in many cases, that data could be integrated into the search results. Yahoo Japan is a great example of that. We're actually deriving value from Yahoo Japan by licensing them our data to make their, their search better in a real time way. Um, and it's been a, a great partnership and one that we're replicating with others. But you don't want to tell Jason to go to Yahoo Japan or even Google to find the best tweets, right? He should go to Twitter to find yeah. it. So there's a number of different ways for us to make money from search. One is to license the data. Second is on our platform. Um, search obviously is an area of the service that we can invest in to improve the four things that I talked about, including fast, improving the quality of selection. Uh, so it's an area that we'll continue to um, evaluate and prioritize it relative to the other the other options we have. The third thing I'd say is um, we do actually syndicate our tweets. In many ways, that's different than data in that our tweets are showing up by themselves as opposed to driving an algorithm, so to speak. Um, we have a great relationship with Google in that regard. And we do derive value from that from the standpoint that we're relevant in the moment when someone's looking for it on another platform and they can click on that response and come back to Twitter. So it's an indirect way to capture, capture the value. Let's go real quick. We could squeeze two more in. Hi, Heather Podesta with Invariant. Curious to hear how you're engaging with the White House. Um, I'm not sure if there's a specific question there or not. Um, we have partnerships with, uh, with entities across uh, sports, news and politics, uh, entertainment and creators. That organization reports into me. We have relationships with government officials. They want to understand how to use Twitter. Does the they White House want the ability to edit their tweets? <laughs> I, you'd have to ask the White House. Are you participating in any policy councils? Are you actively in the White House talking to the technology folks? I'm not, I'm not going to provide a specific answer to that. We have relationships with all the government entities that want to use Twitter as a platform. Last question. Hi. Sarah from IMI. I'm wondering if beyond impressions, if you guys are working on connecting your reach in online to real-world impact and trying to build that connection a little bit stronger. Um, we have been able to show correlated, not causation, uh, that there is a relationship between Twitter and driving tune into television, um, but it's not something that we can, we can tie directly to some types of improved ratings. And that but, used to be a focus for you guys, was telling that story, and then you stopped telling that story. Well, it is a, we still allow advertisers to use the platform uh, to target potential viewers or drive tune in. I just don't want to overstate that we can quantify it in the way that you asked the question. It is absolutely a value, and you can see on a Thursday night, um, Scandal is a great example, where Kerry Washington and her entire cast and crew are tweeting out the entire night. They're doing that because they're engaging with their audience, both that's watching, but also to drive tune in. I'm talking beyond watching, but purchasing. Like, is there a better connection that you could do there? Because then maybe you can just charge more for the ads. So we do have a product that um, e-commerce uh, e companies and retailers use. It's called Website Click uh, Card. It is a great product. Um, it's a relatively substantial business for us. It drives great ROI. Contrary to what uh, Peter says, who I'll now call my friend since we've had a little bit of an yes. argument going forward, uh, it is a great direct response product that's been really successful for us for, for e-commerce companies, travel companies, um, et cetera. The, the branded advertising business is still our largest piece. Um, we're really encouraged by the feedback we're getting from advertisers on improved ROI, and our, our goal is to get back to growth and revenue overall. Thank you. Thanks. So we're friends now. That's cool. If you guys, if you guys have other questions, you can DM Anthony, right? DM That's me. your favorite way to... Interact at, at Anthony Noto. Deal. Thank you, Anthony. Here, thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. 